is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. Katie Clark Gabbard brought the wrong supplies on the first day of art school. All of the wrong supplies. We got the materialist for school, she tells me, about this indelible moment now more than 20 years in the past, and I toted around every single thing. I looked like I was trekking across the country. I had all my books and paints, and I showed up to a life-drawing class on the first day. The only thing we needed was a pack of newsprint paper, which I didn't have, and charcoal. I showed up with watercolors, and I needed charcoal. There was no room for color in that class. It wasn't the last time Katie would feel at odds with her art school contemporaries or teachers. I found out right away that I was not speaking the same language as those folks, she says with a smirk. About halfway through the first semester, a professor said to me, I think someone needs to tell you you need to go a different way. Those last four words could be a tagline for Katie's creative spirit. After owning and running a vibrant florist and home decor shop for 15 years, Katie stepped away at the beginning of the pandemic to return to her artistic roots. The spirit that drives her creativity never really left those roots, but she is now a full-time professional artist, creating vividly colorful paintings in unexpected formats, using the very shape and texture of each piece to challenge perceptions within the sometimes staid fine art world. And recently, Katie and I decided to incorporate even richer sensory components to the painting process, which, of course, involved really good chocolate and beer. So today we're going to taste some chocolate and some beer, and you're not going to know what it is, and you're going to try to create some sort of visual response to what you're experiencing. What are your thoughts before you do any of that? That I hope my taste buds are as connected to my brain as I think they are. (laughs) I've never worried about that bridge being sturdy before, (laughs) but now I am. (laughs) That's Katie Clark Gabbard. We first met almost 15 years ago, shortly after her florist and decor shop, the Ivy League, opened in a building that started as a bakery a century ago in our small town. My baby was in a sling on my chest, and I wandered into Katie's shop while trying to get my little girl to fall asleep. I can't remember what I bought that first day, but I know I bought something because I could feel so much of Katie's spirit infused into her tiny, eclectic retail space. We became friends, and our friendship has grown across the years to become one of the closest in my life as I round the corner into what I must reluctantly acknowledge as middle age. Florist, home decorator, artist, the list of Katie's job titles over the years might paint a picture of a refined, buttoned-up personality, and Katie certainly carries herself with composure and a sometimes awkward confidence, but she is also one of the funniest, most irreverent, and delightfully spontaneous people I know. Two truths and a lie about Katie Clark Gabbard. One, Katie used to enjoy target practice with a twenty-two caliber pistol, which she kept in a vintage leather holster around her thigh. When the gun was at home, she would wear the holster in her florist shop and fill it with fresh flowers instead. 2. On Halloween one year, Katie facilitated an undead wedding at a Halloween costume party while dressed in full witch costume and makeup and wearing a bishop's mitre hat, complete with green face paint. 3. 
At two in the morning in a dive bar that gave even dive bars a bad name, Katie slammed her elbow down on the card table where we were drinking bad beer and declared with no preamble or provocation, we're arm wrestling right now. Let's go, Nelson. I'll let you know at the end of the episode which of these were true. Katie works now out of a studio in the Front Street Artist community in Dayton, Ohio. The massive and sprawling complex was long ago an envelope factory, but now hosts dozens of artists working in various mediums, and Katie has found a home here. Her long, narrow studio has large industrial windows on one narrow end that open with a chain, and the space is bright and airy, with plants and paintings lining the walls and shelves, and a dilapidated but comfortable couch tucked into one corner. In the center of the space is a wood work table the size of a large kitchen island, splattered in dried paint. It is here that Katie and I convened one morning to see what might come of the idea that flavor could directly inspire art. I brought along several chocolates and beers and gave each to Katie to taste, one at a time. She would then spend 10 to 15 minutes painting a small canvas, approximately 8 by 10 inches, expressing in colors and shapes the flavors she experienced and the images they conjured. Only after she finished each would I reveal what she had just tasted. We were both fascinated by the results. I recorded our time together, so you're about to hear Katie work through this process as we discuss her choices and techniques in mostly real time with some edits for length. I'll narrate at points throughout to help this visual process make sense for a podcast setting, and you can see the extensive photos from the session on the Bean to Barstool blog, which I'll link to in the show notes. As we're talking, you'll hear the various noises of the studio, such as Katie mixing paint on her palette... The shutter of my camera as I documented the process, and various other noises of the tasting and painting experience. Before we got started, I asked Katie if she had any plans in mind for how she would visually represent these flavors. Um, no. I don't work that way as an artist. Yeah, I, I never have a I never have a game plan. If you all were in my studio right now, you would realize <laughs> that there's so much truth to that. <laughs> when I when I start working on a new piece, I I pick out my colors first. No matter what, I don't think about any of the subject matter at all. I focus on the color, and then layer by layer, something starts to take form. You don't worry if something isn't coming out like you want it to you don't I don't have a plan and so whatever it ends up as if I'm okay with that in the beginning I'll be okay with that at the end all right Katie go ahead and start with this chocolate here in the front you can smell it first and then put it in your mouth and let it melt don't just chew it up right away okay and let me know if there's anything that comes to mind the first chocolate I give Katie to taste is Crow and Moss Vanilla Smoke, a 69% dark chocolate bar made with Madagascar vanilla, cacao smoked over hickory wood, and a touch of salt. You might remember this bar from back in episode 19 when my friend Shay Pal of the Chalk Coffee Wine Instagram account and I tasted through this bar and discussed its nostalgic, evocative flavors. I'm aware in giving it to Katie that it's a bit of a curveball, because who's expecting smoke in their chocolate? Her response to it is fun to follow. This sounds weird, and I don't know why I would, I keep going back to this, but like, I feel like there's a, a really, really deep, dark fruit. Mm-hmm. But it's not like a, it's not a, like an out front fruit tone. 
it's, it's down in there, mm -hmm. very, very, very deep. It gets sweeter as I have less and less of it. Sure. There's a couple things that kind of fuzz up the edges on this bar from some of those harsher notes. Hmm. So towards the towards the end, it's much lighter, much I want to say tart, quite a bit more tart. So you're just randomly associating colors at this point? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to use colors straight out of the tube, which is normally something I don't do. Normally, in my book, that's a big no-no. I like to have very complex colors. And so no matter what, there's always a range of things combined. So on my palette, I have a, a deep dark plum, a nice medium blue, and then I have a fluorescent green that we're going to add, and then I think I'm going to add some orange. So I've got three three distinct little palettes here. Yeah, you're kind of working on opposite sides of a color wheel. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, my, my orange and blue are going to be complementaries because they're directly across from the color wheel. So that's a that right there is kind of a proven success. Katie begins mixing paints on her palette, which is actually a large letter tile from an old advertising sign. She makes sweeping, uneven streaks on the canvas with the orange over the next couple minutes, laying it down with a rubber brush-shaped squeegee rather than a traditional brush. Then she splashes water onto the canvas and begins sopping it up. This is just going to... So the water is going to make it more of like a, a wash on the surface. And then I've got a, a blue shop towel on top. So I'm going to take up the, the excess paint. So this was supposed to be a bit more watery looking. It's kind of just about making marks. Just little points of interest on the background. So this is just kind of our background layer. So are these, these are colors that you were thinking about? Yeah, I I would say that I felt first that in the in the chocolate there was that that a very deep deep fruit, more of like a I want to say like a a currant or a like a plum or hmm. like a a blackberry or something and so I've got my my blues for that, that richness. Um also kind of earthy. Um so I've got the green that reads as earth to me, um, very organic. And then the, the orange is more of that citrus note that came out at the very end. So that, that bright green is earthy for you? Bright green, uh, earthy would be much more of a, a dark, deep color to you me. You would think, but in my mind. Sure, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't yeah. say that correctively, just it's funny. Yeah. I wouldn't look at that color and think earthy for myself. When I think of earthy, I think of like the treetops. That's my earthy. Sure. I was fascinated by how differently Katie interpreted earthy from how I'm used to thinking of it. I asked my Twitter followers what colors they associate with earthy flavors and got answers all over the spectrum, including russet, numerous variants of brown, beet red, soil, green grass, sorghum, dark dry moss, tree bark, and numerous others, 
proving our palates and the way they interface with our conscious minds are as diverse as we are. Katie begins adding a striking dark blue purple to her canvas in round, fruit-like shapes, and once several adorn the surface, she begins interlacing them with diagonal stripes of fluorescent green. She explains that much of her painting process is about balancing, each step counteracting the last one to continually fill in and offset her choices until she has a cohesive finished piece. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, getting a Cicerone certification is an amazing way to raise your beer knowledge and can be a game changer for your beer career. But how are you supposed to find the time to prep and how are you supposed to know exactly what to study? Don't sweat because the Beer Scholar has you covered. Beer Scholar is a sponsor of Bean to Barstool, but I can tell you from personal experience years before I was doing this podcast how helpful the Beer Scholar study guides are. They offer efficient online courses for levels one and two that cover everything you need to know, tips and tricks for how to pass the exams, and include live weekly Zooms to taste and discuss classic beer styles together. They even have a new coaching program for the level three advanced Cicerone exam. I used the Beer Scholar Study Guide to pass my level two exam many years ago. I wish the level three had been around when I took that exam. I had to do it on my own. Wish their study guides had been available for that at the time. The vast majority of certified Cicerones in the world today have used Beer Scholar to help achieve the goal of passing that exam. If you are ready to take your beer career to the next level, visit thebeerscholar.com and check out their online courses. bit of this so I'm removing a little bit of the blue now so then that way we can kind of see mm. yeah. a few of those red layers I guess that's a little more how flavor works things kind of blurring together yeah absolutely like this you know the, the piece of chocolate started out very heavy and then as I hardly had any left it kind of had it was almost like there was a whole other flavor right down in the middle of it mm. that I couldn't get to until half you know more than half of it was gone so let's see here i think that i'm just going to do something kind of uh, graphic here um, as far as like a like a, a pattern hmm. what for i think it's gonna i need something harsh now because i've got very fluid kind of uh, flowy lines with my background. I've got these very organic rounded shapes with the blue. I would like something harsh. She outlines her plum shapes, and as the painting nears completion, we see four plums, two of them cut off by the edges of the canvas as though they're part of a larger piece we can't see. Streaked across the surface is the bright green that represents earthiness to Katie, and behind that, the orange foundation strokes. Around the plums are the stark black outlines that provide solidity and, in her words, harshness to the piece. Fruitiness, earthiness, citrus, a balance of brightness and darkness. That kind of illustrates how, like, I am as an artist. Like, I didn't start out with these needing to be plums or whatever the heck they are from the beginning, but almost we're almost done with this and I've decided that yes, they will be plums. 
is that a, a visual artistic choice or is that a, a reconstruction of what you're remembering of the flavor? Kind of what I'm remembering from the flavor. Okay. Yeah. Is that it? Is that done? This is it. What do you think? I, I like it. Do you want to know what it was? Of course. So, I will say, first of all, that there isn't fruit, but this cacao origin is known for being very fruity. So it does, you got the flavors there that you were thinking of, but no actual fruit is present. Okay. This is Crow and Moss, which is from Petoskey, Michigan. This is their vanilla smoke bar. So it is a dark chocolate, 69% cacao uh, with vanilla, and it is smoked over hickory. Really? So hmm. A little bit of that sweet smoke with the vanilla and the hickory together. And it is. I think that that was the mystery to me. I wouldn't have aligned the smokiness with mm -hmm. this at all. And I think if it was any other wood, you would have gotten it immediately. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have any here, but there are other chocolates that are smoked over other woods, and they're very notably smoky. Hickory is such a sweet smoke that it almost reads kind of fruity and mm -hmm. sweet. Mm-hmm. Because I taste it, and now that I know, I still think the same thing. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. good. Now that you know what's in it, now that you mm -hmm. can see it, I, t I do taste the vanilla, mm -hmm. that that was there from the beginning, but I was thinking more like the, that, that deep fruit was more of what I, what I get. Wow. So do you think if you had known all of that information, seen the package, that you would have painted something differently? This would have influenced me. Mm -hmm. Like their packaging design and knowing, yeah. Yeah, it's more muted, earth yep. tones. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mauve, garnet, those mm -hmm. kinds of colors. And this is completely different. <laughs> yeah, but I still think... It's bright. Yeah. I'd be curious to show that painting to somebody, give them the chocolate without them knowing, and see if that influenced yeah. how they perceived it. I think we should do that. It would be cool to see this full circle. Yeah. All right, Katie, we're going to try a beer next. Okay. Uh, I'm going to try to cover this so okay, that you can't yeah. see... Oh, this smells very, very fruity. I feel like I'm getting ready to drink, like, orange juice or grapefruit <laughs> juice or something. The beer she's tasting is Luna Lux, a white IPA from Cincinnati's Mad Tree Brewing. White IPA is a style mashup between American IPA with its bold, hoppy character and wit beer, a Belgian wheat ale brewed most commonly with coriander and orange peel. Lunalux is brewed with coriander and lemon peel, along with laurel and citra hops, which together create lemon, floral, and tropical fruit notes. It's a beautiful beer in a style brewed far too rarely, and it's released each year as a winter seasonal. Lunalux means moonlight in Spanish, and the can art features a moon rising behind evergreen trees, all of it cast in silvers and twilight blues. The flavors, though, are bright and sunny. Okay, so I'm doing this. Okay. So I'm going to pick out here some, some yellows because I think that truly the color of this beer is influencing this. And instead of putting this on a, on a palette first, I'm just going to put it directly on the canvas. Maybe it's just because it's a liquid instead of a, 
like a solid chocolate that we're tasting now. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a completely different, much more of a like a wash of, of flavors. Okay, so I've got um, I've got a fluorescent yellow. I've got kind of a like a a latte brown. I'm going to add a little bit of uh, of water right to my canvas. Okay just like half of a teaspoon or something there. And then I'm gonna use this squeegee again. There's something about fluorescents. People, a lot of people are scared of them, but you can add fluorescence to just about anything. And it just gives it a complete, just jump. I love this bright colors. Okay, so I'm taking a, a blue shop towel and lifting up a lot of the excess. I think one of the things that you have to learn as a painter is to be okay with the paint doing its own thing. What does that mean? That you can't completely control it. I mean, you can, but I think that that ends up being the, the, like the blight of a lot of painters. They're going for that perfection and the, the ultimate control and realism is a thing I shouldn't I'm not slighting artists that achieve that I'm just saying in my in my world this is absolutely like imperfection and just letting the paint do its thing is a big part of my happiness hmm. Katie has put down a watery layer of bright yellow with broad swerves of latte brown with a touch of a mustard tone to it. Across these run thin, soft pinkish ribbons, and over it all is a grid of brighter pink brushstrokes. It should be noted the beer itself is a shimmering, hazy, pale gold with a fluffy white head on the top, and Katie says she can't help but be influenced by the beer's appearance. Finally, on this bright but cohesive background, she uses a thin brush to put down the black outline of branches and leaves, once again introducing a harsher element to the sunny disposition of the rest of the painting. So yeah, that, that beer, it definitely had more of like a, it, to me it was very citrusy. I, I tend to like citrus beers. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of seeing a, more of a, a, a wash of that warm, warm honey that I think I taste in this. So you've got your like your, your pale, pale browns, highlights of the the yellow. The yellow's kind of hidden in this piece though. And then I get I get a pretty influential citrus note. And so maybe some some roundabout berry shapes here in the painting. And, but it's not really a berry taste. It's definitely more like I get like tangerine, but it's definitely for me more of a citrus fruit flavor. That's good. You're you're right there. So this is Matchery Luna Lux. It's a white IPA, which means it's made with wheat and with coriander and lemon peel. Really? So a combination of the hops and the lemon peel and the coriander are all going to give you different expressions of citrus. So it is going to be very citrus forward. Yeah. Uh, you know, Luna Lux would mean moonlight. Mm -hmm. So they have the copy on here that says a silver lining shines through the trees and it's the whispers of a midnight breeze. So they've got that Ooh. moon on there. It's all blues and silvers and whites. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. 
lemon floral spice. And what's interesting is knowing that, seeing the can and understanding what they're doing, that's kind of the image that I get because I'm influenced by that. Mm -hmm. If you are divorced from that and just get the flavors, they're very bright and sunny. They are. I would imagine that this would have been a summer beer. Mm-hmm. It would have been it'd be very easy to drink out hot outside when it's a hot day. It's a very a summery brew. Sure. For me. Yeah. So yeah, that is that the contrast in that is completely, it is. completely surprising. Kind of yeah. Between those two. Did you like it? I did. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, very good. We're moving on to our next chocolate then. Okay, great. Give yourself something to paint on. Which we one will you do this one? Okay. It's a shame I'm only getting a section because I imagine this is very It is beautiful. I'll show it to you after we're done. The chocolate I'm giving Katie now is Bayani Caipirinha, a 65% dark chocolate from Brazil made with cachaça, a grassy sugarcane spirit similar to rum, and dried lime peel. It's a fascinating bar and one of my favorites from the last year, with notes of chamomile, catnip, light lemon drop, grassy rum, and a hint of lime. Now, it might just be because I grew up on a farm. But I swear that I taste like, or I smell alfalfa hay. Sure. Very sweet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the bitter undernotes. It's, it's sweet. Not, not sugar sweet. I still get a, not a floral note, but like a plant note. Mm-hmm. And like a very, like, like a sweet smelling clover or like the alfalfa hay mm-hmm. when it's been cut kind of damp that's a that's not a that's not a flavor i'm familiar with it's just a scent that i'm getting now mm-hmm. and more of like a it wouldn't be like a vanilla but it is more of a a flavor that's maybe a caramel no not a caramel if it's a vanilla it's a really it's a really nice vanilla it's not just like straight out of the bottle it's, it's light. I don't get the, the heaviness from that first chocolate at all. Very light. I'm going to do another fluorescent green. And I'm going to do a, a deeper green. I think that they're going to blend really well. Katie begins painting immediately. She once again starts with a foundation of fluorescent yellow before adding shapes on top of it bright pink horizontal lines that speak to hills and contours, and green sprigs to evoke plant life. Katie explains the reasons here. I'm getting this image of like a a meadow or a field. I think it's because I taste like alfalfa in that. Mm -hmm. And so I want to do something that's the color of like an alfalfa or hay field. But I don't want it to look like a landscape. So maybe these are just a very, very loose interpretation of like a like a sprig of hay. I'm all about the loose interpretations. I'm going to do some, uh, let's see here, some fluorescent um, pink. I'm trying to. So I have the lines here. And if I were to think of, like, I'm, like looking out across a meadow, my mom and dad have a nice field in there in their farm and at the end of the field is a really picturesque hill and so whenever I think of like a a farm field or something I always have this backdrop of a a hill and so I have these 
lines that kind of have a hill. So in a yeah, way, it yeah. looks a bit like a like the background of a mm-hmm. of my version of a field. Sure. It's done. It is done. All right. It is done. Well, this one is fun because uh, a lot of your color is similar to the packaging, and it is field related, but not northern hemisphere. So this is Brazilian. Okay. Sixty-five percent with Brazilian cacao, and it is made with uh, cachaça. Really? Uh, so you know you'd get that grassiness from the the sugar cane. Uh, so they soak the cacao nibs in the cachaça for thirty days and then dry them back out to make the chocolate. And then they add lime zest. That's what's on the back and sugar. Oh. Yeah. At least somewhat comparable in color. You got the green. It and is. Yellow. Yeah, absolutely. And you even kind of got a little bit of a hill pattern there. Uh huh. That is so bizarre. I wish it would have had honey, <laughs> but that's okay. It is. It was a diff- it was a different sweet. Sure. A very, a very like wholesome sweet. So. All right. Let's okay, do uh, one more beer and one more chocolate. Does that work? Yeah, it's great. Cool. The last beer I have Katie try is Spencer Trappist Holiday Ale, a nine percent ABV Christmas beer brewed by the brothers at St. Joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts. The community at St. Joseph's has a long history stretching back to the 18th century. In 1798, a group of Trappist monks was forced to flee Switzerland when French troops invaded, and in 1825, they sailed for Canada to found a new community. They landed in Halifax Harbor, an abbey was established, and over the next century, a series of devastating fires forced the community to move around before finally settling in the current location in Massachusetts in 1950. In 2013, they began brewing beer commercially to support the monastery and are the only Trappist-certified brewery in the Western Hemisphere and one of only a dozen in the world. To be Trappist-certified, the beer has to be brewed on the grounds of a Trappist monastery. The brewery must exist to serve the abbey rather than vice versa. All revenue must go directly to supporting the abbey and its charitable causes. The monks have to be directly involved in the brewing operation, and the beer must be of a quality worthy of the Trappist name. This particular beer is lightly spiced, though they don't reveal what spices they use, and it features flavors of palm fruits, dark bread crust, baking spices, and whatever else you might tease out of the depths of such a strong and complex beer. I smell apples. This is a good beer. This is a really good beer. The color is magnificent. Very first, like I smelled apples. I felt like I was in an orchard. And then tasting it, I, I get I get something like a, a cinnamon, but maybe a little bit more complex than that. And it, it gives me a heat down down my whole throat and into like my chest. So I know it's not just cinnamon. Maybe like a it could be aged in something maybe. Okay. Um maybe even a pear. I haven't had this a lot in my life, but there's this image of a like a roasting pan filled with apples or pears or both from the oven, covered in like cinnamon and all sorts of like savory, sweet and savory things. That's what I get from this. It's like a very decadent and spices type of beer. Okay. I must paint. <laughs> Okay. I'm excited to see what this one looks like. Yeah, this one I'm gonna actually I'm gonna get myself a clean palette because it's gonna really I don't think any of the colors that I've previously been using, like the neons and such, 
I don't think any of those are going to work for this. So I'm going to use a burnt sienna, and that is a rusty brown color, very rich. I'm still going to add a little bit of fluorescent red to that because I want it to. That's, that's still a lively beer. It isn't. It isn't with all of the rich flavors. It isn't heavy. Mm-hmm. It's very very easy to drink. There's something at the end there that I can't quite pick out. That also reminds me of like an old beer, like a mm-hmm. one that's like steeped in history. There's something about like I taste something. This is gonna sound like an insult, but it's not. I taste something old in it. It's not like old as in stale or rotten. It's uh, like a like people have been possibly sitting and indulging in this beer for like more than generations. Mm-hmm. There's something about like they're brewing that they're bringing back something in it. So sitting like in a pub that's low lit, large, cozy leather chairs and stuff. Okay. This is, in some ways, the most literal and the most abstract of Katie's paintings during this entire session. Against a leathery, soft brown background, she paints what emerges as an overstuffed, worn-in red armchair. It's the only painting she's done today that features a notable degree of realism in its depiction, but also the only one that doesn't directly speak to the flavor of what she's tasting as much as the setting in which she'd like to enjoy it. She perfectly captures the feeling of the beer, and now I want nothing more than to sink into that chair in a low-lit room with books lining the walls and sip on this beer while enjoying conversation with people I like. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, Final Gravity Issue 4 is now available in the Bean to Barstool shop. This fourth issue of our zine telling intimate, human-centered stories from the world of beer is full of great articles, including Kate Power of Lady Justice Brewing talking about why she might be done with beer festivals, Ukrainian beer writer Lana Svetinkova writing about the Zeugel brewing tradition in Germany, UK writer Matthew Curtis talking about the blend of old and new in the Cascale tradition in Manchester, and many more. We believe passionately in this project, and if you believe the story of beer is ultimately a story about people and relationships, we think you'll love Final Gravity as well. You can order the new issue from our shop on beantobarstool.com, or you can also subscribe, including subscribing for your brewery tap room or break room, or you can subscribe and sign up to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash beantobarstoolzines. Now, back to the episode. This is a chair. I think it's done. Okay. You want to know what it is? Of course. I'm dying to know. This is Spencer Trappist Holiday Ale. Spencer is a Trappist monastery in Massachusetts that brews their own beer commercially. So this is their special release holiday beer. It's a Belgian dark strong ale, about 9% alcohol. It is spiced. They don't release what the spices are. I think there is cardamom in it and possibly then cinnamon and ginger. Uh-huh. This is exactly everything you were talking about. It is what? a you know, a a tradition, you know, a, a brewing tradition steeped in history with the Trappist order. It is a holiday special savoring beer. It's very strong. It's going to be the kind of thing you're going to have, you know, at the end of the evening mm-hmm. while you're sitting by the fire or something. Uh, so yeah, everything 
Again, is, not that one is right or wrong. I, I, but it's this your is, senses, but this is exactly what... Yeah. Even the colors are somewhat in line between that is the beer and the... So, the yeah. This, that's so... Um, that's uncanny. That is so funny. This is an excellent beer. It's good. Yes, it is so good. Oh, my God. These have all been good, but this is a, this is a real treat. All right, we're going to do our okay. last chocolate. Okay. The, last. the final chocolate I'm giving Katie to taste is the simplest of the three, at least in concept. A single origin bar with no bells and whistles. Loon chocolates, heirloom Bolivia, 70% dark chocolate. Back in episode 22, I interviewed Loon founder and chocolate maker Scott Watson. So after this episode, you can check that out to learn more about the spirit behind this excellent maker. I broke off a piece and gave it to Katie, and the result of this round of our experiment was the most startling of all to both of us. Not as sweet mm-hmm. as the second one, the one from Brazil, but it's sweeter than the first one. No floral notes for me, or, or fruit in this one. It's becoming sweeter. It's a very good chocolate. Mm-hmm. Once you get into it and you get that melting, it's really enjoyable. There's a lot going on. It's a decadence flavor. Nothing, I don't feel like there's anything too organic in it. Nothing plant related, floral related, fruit related. More of like a, maybe even like a coffee or like a, like a sweet nut. So it's not like a bright chocolate. Right. It doesn't have that, that spring off of the tongue or anything and that's a weird thing to say but it's kind of like when you eat tiramisu there's absolutely no there's there's nothing springy about that it's all just rich and decadent and and lush that's what i get from that chocolate so i think um painting wise i get a lot of like not earth tones nothing like that but just a like to me like Richness reads in like browns and reds with this one. And so I think it's what I'm going to use. Okay. So I'm going to use a, ooh, a yellow oxide, the color of like a, like a butterscotch or something. This is a raw umber. I'm going to use that. Um, cadmium yellow, yellow oxide, some raw umber. Raw umber is like a it's got more black in the brown than red. I've got, uh, I still have some red or some burnt sienna. And then these all kind of have a red or um, orangish lean to them. And so just for contrast, for maximum punch, I think we'll, we'll do directly across from the color wheel on this and do probably a cobalt blue type of color. So I'm going to use an ultramarine blue and... I'm going to do a, mix that with dioxamine purple, kind of a royal, nice royal blue. So we'll start out with, this is the yellow oxide, kind of going with just really unfussy swipes of paint in a diagonal pattern. And now, next to that, I'm going to lay in the lighter cadmium yellow. What color is that? This is going to be a burnt umber, so a very blackish brown. Yeah, it's brown with a lot of gray in it. Mm-hmm. I don't use this color very much. 
And I'm just kind of, well, I'm actually using the squeegee. You can kind of see like it's, it's nice because you can pick up. You create all these different layers by not only applying paint, but picking it up. Mm -hmm. Are these specific shapes you're making or just, mm -hmm. just patterns? Just patterns basically, but I think now that I see that, I'm going to a bit of a, like an outline in some of this great blue now. Okay. And this isn't, this blue doesn't reflect a fruit. It kind of just signifies something that's decadent and rich sure. and kind of royal. It doesn't seem like that is a poor man's chocolate. <laughs> Katie has put down diagonal blotches of rich yellow with warmer, deeper red accents throughout. Inchoate shapes in burnt umber, a grayish brown, are laid on top of this, which are then outlined in a cobalt blue. There's no direct visual references here to anything literal. These colors and patterns just represent the feelings and impressions the chocolate gave her. It's important to know that not only did Katie not know what these chocolates and beers were before painting, she also didn't see the packaging before completing each painting. That's especially noteworthy in this case, as the symmetry between Katie's finished painting and the packaging for Loon's Heirloom Bolivia bar gave us both a tingle of the back of our necks. The colors, all of them, were either perfect matches or close harmonies to each other. All right. Is that it? I think it is. Can you do me a favor real quick? Yeah. On your palette, can you mix about an equal amount of that blue with the umber? Mm-hmm. This here? Yes. This is going to bowl you over. Really? You ready? Yeah, of course. This is your packaging. What? You got you nailed those colors, and then this is kind of the mix what? of those two together. That is insane. <laughs> what? How is that <laughs> even possible? You know, I, I genuinely think as we've been going, you've been getting more attuned to what your taste buds yeah. and your sense of smell and all that is doing. That's uncanny. That is absolutely, that gives me goosebumps. It really does. I cannot, uh, I can't fathom that. I was really hoping we mixed those two, that was going to come out that way. And that's, yeah. it's not exact, but it's damn close. So this is 70% dark Bolivia. So this is a single origin, nothing additional added. Uh, this really? is just Bolivian cacao. Really? So no, Nothing no? added. This is pure chocolate. Wow. It's really good. Isn't that just wildly that down next it to it? It is. That is in, it's insane. It I don't not feel possible. The the whole like the shapes and everything. <laughs> well, that tickles me. Yeah. That really does. Proof that all of the, the beers, the chocolates, they're so much more than just creating something that tastes good. Like there's a a story Absolutely. that is intentionally trying to be told. And if you really just take the time to try to go on that journey, listen to what your, your senses are telling you, that you can almost get, like I didn't get 100% on any of these, but I got enough of it. I don't know that you matching what the maker did is, is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, you're right that the one beer that you had very sunny colors those are sunny flavors. They just happen to be going with like this moon sure. on snow mm -hmm. thing. But as you went, they got much more dialed in to what they were intending. Whether Katie's paintings matched the packaging of any of these beers or chocolates or not isn't right or wrong. 
Her impression of the Mad Tree beer with bright, sunny colors that were diametrically opposite of the brewer's visual representation was just as valid as her close match on the Loon Chocolate. Harmony between these was never the point. But seeing her visual representation of how these flavors struck her mind, senses, and emotions comes so close to how those same flavors were interpreted by the maker 900 miles away, made with cacao from several thousand miles away, was staggering nonetheless. I asked Katie what her takeaways from this entire experiment were. That everybody should drink and paint. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's made me very productive. I think that it's a great way to kind of unblock some thinking. Mm -hmm. Like it gives you something different to listen to when you're, you know, you're contemplating doing a painting or, or any kind of artwork. You, you aren't in your head so much. You're just listening to your taste buds and your, your olfactory senses. And that's, that's kind of an underutilized set of skills in Mm -hmm. something so visual. So I think it could be added to the tool belt. It's a challenge, an enjoyable challenge, one that I haven't ever been faced with before, having this podcast with you, but to put into something visual things that are taste-related and scent-related. It's, it's not a bridge that's normally made. Mm-hmm. You know, normally visual arts are linked to maybe something auditory. You know, you're listening to music or something like that. But the scent and the, the taste especially, I don't mm-hmm. think it affects something in the visual arts realm very often at all. Yeah, we're not used to letting it. Uh-uh, yeah. I think it does in our minds, though. I mean, I think it's very imagey in our minds. Mm-hmm. That, that's with the memory and the imagination and all that. We often have something come to mind when we're tasting or smelling something. Mm-hmm. But we don't generally latch on to that and do anything concrete with it. Sure, so it just kind something. of appears in our mind and then goes away. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually letting it like flow out into your, your hands or something like that. It's... It's taking it an additional step. It's been very enjoyable and completely different. So those two truths and a lie about Katie Clark Gabbard, you might have guessed by now they're all true. The flowers in the holster, the dark wedding, the arm wrestling match. I had to narrow down which stories to even include. She's a one-off original, as comfortable giggling about a dirty joke as she is painting her truth onto canvas. I'm honored to call her my friend. You can find out more about Katie's work at katieclarkgabbard.com and follow her on Instagram at katie underscore clark underscore gabbard. I'll link to both in the show notes. Also in the show notes is a link to a blog post on beantobarstool.com that includes extensive photos from this session so you can see the paintings and the process that led to them. I encourage all of you to find an unexpected way to interact with the flavors of beer and chocolate. Write poetry, paint, sketch, make music, sing, dance. Our chemical senses are potent conduits for memory, emotion, and imagination, but they can require coaxing and attention to divulge their secrets. Find a new way to interact with them. Like Katie says, everyone should drink and paint. Thanks to Katie for being up for this sensory experiment and for sharing her art and insight with us, and thanks to all of you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bean to Barstool.